So Money Episode 900, Priya Milani, CEO of Stash Wealth, a live studio audience recording. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. That is Priya Milani for you. She is the CEO of Stash Wealth. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Special treat for you. This is a recording of So Money that was done in front of a live audience not too long ago. We all gathered at a beautiful, incredible gathering place for female professionals in New York City called Luminary. So thank you to Luminary for hosting us. Kate Luzio is the founder of Luminary, and you can actually hear Kate and I discuss her launch of Luminary and also her background on So Money. That's episode 847. Check that out. Yeah. So this is my attempt to try to shake things up a little bit here on the podcast. You know, as we approach episode 1000, we have a hundred episodes to go. Want to kind of make them all really stand out. And this one, we were lucky enough to be able to do in front of about 60, 70 people on a very rainy night in New York City. So thank you to all the audience members who decided to make the track and come and see and hear us chat about money and life and careers and all the things. And Priya, is someone that I've been wanting to interview for some time. She is an entrepreneur and founding partner at Stash Wealth, which is a financial planning firm for, get this, Henry's. Do you guys know what Henry's are? Henry stands for high earners, not rich yet. And I have a feeling that that's a number of us listening on this podcast. And I mean, I would probably raise my hand too. You know, everyone's got a different definition of rich. And if you are making the good bucks, the good dollars, but feeling like you have a ways to go to establish quote unquote wealth because you've got the student loans or you've got credit card debt, or it just because, you know, it takes time to do all the things. That's where Priya and Stash Wealth come into the picture. So Priya is someone who has a storied background. She worked for 10 years on Wall Street and then she left sort of unceremoniously, and she'll talk about this, to start her company. She's known as the rebel of Wall Street. So got to know what that means. And Priya is very open about a lot of things. She talks about, you know, some financial deal breakers when you're in a relationship, how to talk about money with your partner. And also, this was unexpected, the best credit card on the market. (laughs) This is her opinion. And I kind of agree. So make sure to stay tuned for all of that. We actually did some audience Q&A at the end, which I'm saving for a future Ask Farnoosh episode. So there's more to come from this live interview. And of course, special thanks to our sponsors for the evening, Birchbox and O'Neill Vintners. All right, without further ado, here is Priya Milani. Welcome to So Money. Thank you so much for having me. I'm such a big fan and I've been waiting to be on the show for so long. So I'm so excited. So pumped. It's the pleasure is all ours. I want to start with your title, which is not only the co-founder and CEO of Stash Wealth, but also you are known to be the Wall Street rebel. That is... (laughs) It is on your bio. It's out there. I didn't make that up. 
So tell us the story behind that. Like, can, is there a story that captures your rebelliousness? I mean, outside the fact that, yes, you left Wall Street to start something revolutionary, but even when you were at your desk working on Wall Street, like what would, what would be very characteristic of you? So... That's a really good question. I, to be honest, the rebel of Wall Street, that, that honestly came from <laughs> me itself. Uh, I, I gave my name, my, that, myself that name. Um, I think it was just, you know, in creating Stash, I really wanted to make sure that we were defying the odds and doing something really new. And I didn't want to take inspiration from the old traditional Wall Street firms. Um, so I was looking elsewhere. And I think every time I'd come up with an idea, I'd be like, oh my God, that's so rebellious. And that, <laughs> literally that's how it came. Um, and now, of course, it's in the news. It's everywhere where people call me the rebel of Wall Wall Street's kind of cool. I like it. When, when was your aha moment? What, what, when did you actually decide, okay, I got to leave and I'm starting Stash? Oh was my it, gosh. It must, no, was it it's probably a moment, right? It, it was actually, no, it never is. It, it sounds crazy to say this, but it was really early on when I was working at Merrill Lynch. Um, and I joined Merrill right out of college. So I was super young, didn't really quite know what I was getting into, started in wealth management. And I was just so shocked. I I remember one time I was uh, put, pulling together like a financial plan for a really wealthy client. Um, and I was like, wait, this is how we show investment data to a human? Like this doesn't make sense. It doesn't, it's not in English. Too and many numbers, numbers and numbers and like, and not necessarily what was the most relevant to them. And if it's not really relevant, but a financial advisor presents it to you as relevant, you might think you need to make a decision based on that data and you don't always need to. Mm -hmm. I can get more into that. But, um, yeah, I think, I think that slowly I just found more and more things just seemed so odd. I was like, wait, this is not how it should be done. And I felt like I could do it cooler, faster, better. Right. And the accessibility of it, the cost, right? Absolutely. So expensive. And yeah. really what, what you're trying to serve is this unserved market that, you know, we're making the money, but we may not be making the millions of dollars, which the truth is that's kind of what you needed this, to right. get Exactly. Advisor. Exactly. And I know a lot of people who have left Wall Street have a similar story, but friends were coming to me and they were like, hey, what do I do with the 401k? What's a Roth IRA? Why should I care about it? What are stock options? And um, obviously I couldn't help them. Wall Street really doesn't want to talk to you unless you have a million dollars. And even if you have a million dollars, you're like a D-list client to them. They'll take your money, they'll throw it into a bunch of investments, and then you'll never hear from them ever again. And that's kind of shitty service. Yeah. Oh, we can we can swear on this podcast too. By the way, um, oh good. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about how Stash works. I want to get into your brain more about like your financial hardwiring and all of that. On so money, we like to dissect people's money experiences, their money philosophies. But really quickly, because we we before we move on, just how does Stash work and how does it differentiate? Because now there's a lot of technologies out there that promise a similar thing: lower fees, mm -hmm. more transparency. You know, no no more fine print. We just tell you exactly how your money's getting invested. So where does Stash kind of work itself into that market? Yep. That's a great question. So Stash is a registered investment advisor. So we're able to provide holistic financial planning and investment solutions to the 20-something and 30-something demographic. One of the mistakes I thought Wall Street was making was that they were offering financial advice and guidance in piecemeal. So they might help someone with a specific situation, but not their entire financial life. And that was one wrong that I wanted to write at Stash. So um, the way in which we operate is to 
provide millennials with a virtual financial planning experience that's completely holistic, end-to-end. How to keep your avocado toast lifestyle, rosé, boozy brunch, the whole thing, but also making sure that you don't turn around in a few years kicking yourself because you didn't get your financial shit together sooner. So we offer a virtual financial planning experience. It takes most people about five to six weeks to go through, but it's completely designed to answer every financial question that one might ask and the questions they don't even know to ask because this stuff wasn't taught in mm-hmm. school. Um, so making sure that before they could be their own worst enemy, we solve for the client's uh, issues. Like, are they using the right credit card? Are they hacking taxes? Um, how to avoid an insurance salesperson who's trying to sell you a whole life product? You know, all of those things that we didn't learn in school, but we... Because no matter what job you have, no matter what industry you're in, you really need to know... Uh, mastering your money is a critical life skill. And it's an ongoing journey. It's not like you're going to learn it in one full stop and then you're done. So what is a question that we don't ask that we should be asking or we don't know to ask? Yeah. That recurs a lot. A lot of times clients come to us and they want to budget. Does that sound familiar? Everyone so thinks like a budgeting that? is a whole is the holy grail, and at Stash we actually don't believe in budgeting. Yes, um, isn't that? Is, it's so liberating when I get to say that. Oh, it's like you don't have to go on a diet. Yeah, nope. exactly. <laughs> and it, it can be something as simple as budgeting, or like I didn't. Maybe a lot of conventional wisdom that is passed down from our parents. Um, things like I. The question you might not know to ask is, you default to thinking, I must buy a car, I must buy a home, that's the cornerstone of adulting. But did you ever think to ask, like, is that a right, is that the right financial decision? Um, and a lot of times we help clients ask those questions and then answer that, answer it for them so that they don't make money mistakes that they regret. That's some deep-rooted stuff, though. So you're also probably part therapy. We joke that 80% of what we do is therapy. I would imagine. The numbers are the easy part, quite frankly. Um, Yeah, absolutely. So transitioning now to those, you know, those beliefs that we grew up with, what was childhood like for you? What's a money memory that you have that as an adult woman, like it still either haunts you or, you know, is a pleasant reflection? You can go either way. I, um, yeah, I'm the child of immigrant parents. My parents came over from India in the late seventies, early eighties, but they were very progressive. So money was not hidden in our household. It was talked about, discussed, fought about like the whole thing. I was exposed to it all. Um, the memory I think that sticks out for me would be early nineties. The markets crashed. My dad had listened to a friend who said, these are the stocks to buy and it didn't go so well. Um, and that really scarred me. And it's also in a good way, it, what it's led to is that. How did it scar you? Because did they, did they talk about it with you? How did it trickle down to your childhood? No, it didn't. It's not necessarily something that my parents talked to me about, but I definitely observed what happens when you lose money in the stock market and how detrimental that can be. Um, so I think for us, we've done a really good job at Stash um, to put like the psychology behind investing as a big educational component of how we teach our clients. Mm-hmm. Um, because Wall Street actually does a really shitty job at this. They love to portray investing more like gambling, like, oh, buy a stock or buy Bitcoin. That's literally gambling. That's not investing. And people don't understand the difference. And that's a lot of times where they go wrong. Um, so understanding that the stock market is not Vegas. Um, if, if you want to gamble, just go to Vegas. It's way more fun. They give you free cocktails, the whole thing. Um, but if you, if you actually want to make your money grow, investing is something that is certainly a great tool to use, but you have to understand the difference between investing and gambling to be successful at it. So quick advice. How do we invest accordingly 
to Stash's, you know, guidelines. Um, you know, so just be done with the idea of picking stocks. stocks. Yeah. Yeah. Picking stocks is such an old school way of investing. It's how our parents used to have to invest because they had no other choices. But luckily, the investing world has come such a long way Mm -hmm. that we have so many great tools that allow us to invest in a much more holistic, goals-based way. And so I bring up the point of goals-based because everything at Stash is driven by goals. Um, (laughs) No, no. I mean, I'm I'm only I'm remembering this is actually a real story because you're right. Like, I think I feel like buying stocks, especially like over the phone is mm-hmm. so antiquated, but that actually was something that I experienced on an Amtrak train coming uh-huh. back from Washington. There was recently a, there was a gentleman we were like sharing a four top and he was like, buy 20, no, sell at 40. And I was like, um, it's 2019. <laughs> this is are you trying to pick me up? Or like, I don't know what what is this? What it is going on? So sexy. It's way cooler when you're at like a cocktail party or something. I yeah. don't know if people talk about this at cocktail parties, but it's way cooler to say, like, oh, I own Amazon or I own Facebook. It's like way cooler to talk about than to say, oh, I own a diversified buy the index fund. Yeah, buy the index fund. This is not as cool. Right. But honestly, investing is a way for your money to grow over time, not right. overnight. Right. And uh, one of the things that we believe in is making sure that our clients don't make any arbitrary financial decisions. So we don't believe in saving for the sake of saving or investing for the sake of investing. It all has to be driven based on your goals. And that's the new conversation. And Wall Street doesn't like it, but they're going to learn because the millennial is a very smart consumer and they're demanding more sophisticated solutions. Yes. Forced to be reckoned with. However, millennials are also, I hear, uh, you know, saddled with a lot of student loan debt. Um the fact that it's so hard to access healthcare, affordable healthcare for everybody, but in particular, a millennial who say is not making much because wages have been stagnant. Then you've got the student loans and then you've got the financial illiteracy as well. And all of these things that seem almost like out of your control, these systemic issues. I'm sure you hear about them as people are crying on your shoulder um, at Stash Wealth, but how do you, how do you work within that system? Is it, is it workable? Because there is a school of thought that no, it's, all of this advice is like all for nothing. So clearly there's a systemic issue. Mm -hmm. There's no denying that. I I don't think anyone can really argue with that. But the narrative that we take at Stash is to empower our clients and sort of steer clear of the victim narrative and more towards the victor. What can you control Mm -hmm. and what what can you do about your situation? And listen, we hear it all the time. The average Henry, so uh, the national student loan average is somewhere around 30,000, right? But the average Henry at Stash has around 80,000 in student debt. So we're dealing with it all day, every day. It's part of the financial plan. It's part of the discussion. And you don't necessarily have to wait until your student loans are paid off until you begin accomplishing other things. In fact, you shouldn't. Um, you can certainly take advantage of smart options that allow you to do more with your money if you take that more holistic approach, a hybrid approach, hybrid approach. Yeah. Is Wall Street paying attention? Are they listening? What's, what, what's good? Like, so a lot of, a lot of it is shitty, as you said, but like what yeah. are they obviously must be paying attention. Are you, are you noticing any improvements? That's a really good question. Um, so obviously in 2008, 2009, I think Wall Street lost the trust of our generation and that's when they really had to start paying attention. But that environment definitely created room for newer, options. And there are now the robo-advisors that we hear about, which are pretty much the only other option I think millennials have besides Stash Wealth. And we're on opposite ends of the spectrum. Robo-advisor is going to be more hands-off, more technology-driven, and Stash Wealth is more hands-on, human-driven. Mm-hmm. It's just a different approach. But I am seeing uh, that they are trying 
to pay attention. What about Bitcoin? I have to ask that question, right? I mean, you're all thinking it. It's a scam. It's a scam. Um, Hey, moving on. (laughs) Blockchain. Anyway, moving on. (laughs) No, blockchain, I think, is valid. You're right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And that's all I know. (laughs) That's the extent of my literacy right there. So I've been told uh, that blockchain is is cool. Um, So let's go back to you. You seem like you have your financial life figured out. I'm guessing. I got lucky, honestly. But did you fail ever? Because I want to. I want to really talk about that. I want to talk about a misstep, a failure, a regret, a money regret. That's this is hard. I get asked this question all the time. Um, I got very lucky because my senior year of college, I was already interning at Merrill Lynch, and the financial advisors I were was working with took me under their wing. And I think being a child of immigrant parents, I saving was just like a thing. Um, and I think I told my younger sisters, you need to graduate from college with X amount, no matter what in savings. Um, and then I fell into Merrill Lynch and they told me to open up a Roth IRA. So I did. (laughs) So I've had one since ever. Mm -hmm. And And how did you negotiate your raises? I'm looking at Lindsay. Who's Lindsay? (laughs) My lovely editor. Oh, Lindsay. Yeah. Right. Right. Why, why are you looking at Lindsay? Well, we've talked about this a lot and negotiating and, uh, you know, for me working in a male dominated environment worked to my advantage. And I never thought of myself, especially in a corporate world, especially on wall street. I didn't think of myself as a female. I just thought of myself as a person in the room and my ideas are as good as anyone's. And, if I think I deserve a raise, I'll go in and ask for it. I didn't go in and ask without having proof to back it up. And I think that's where a lot of people go wrong is like, what am I worth? This what am I worth conversation? Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's not an arbitrary question. It's a question that you have to back up with data. And, you know, what I always did and the advice I give is to put yourself in the shoes of the person you're asking. Like, what would what would you need to see from someone asking you to be able to be like, Oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. You should definitely get a raise. We don't want to lose you. You're super valuable. Um, and then that's how I would position it. Can you take us into an actual scenario where you negotiated successfully? I mean, I left Snapshot. Wall Street over a decade ago. Let's let's come on. Let's 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 rack the brain because I really think like that capturing that. You know, like maybe there was a. a you were going in for the ask, and you were maybe a little nervous. And you or- don't. You never go in for the ask without. This is this is a key thing. You've lined it up. Like you know that you've spent months doing things that when you go in for the ask, it's so much less scary. It's almost like, yeah, we we know it's it's gonna it's, it's gonna be a yes. Yeah. And I think that is also very important is don't just go in and ask expecting to get a yes immediately. You need to spend Time really, yeah, you're all you're (laughs) literally almost grooming the person to be like, you're an idiot if you don't give me a raise, right? Because I'm valuable to the company, and I know that, and you know that. So when you left, are they? Do you have friends? I walked out cold turkey. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was crazy. I still can't believe I had the balls to do it. I'm happy I did. Yeah, but it's kind of crazy. Well, we're glad you did. Um, I read a stat recently that, and I'm I'm seeing more data like this that women are actually better investors than men. What's your experience? <laughs> Certainly, the studies show that women tend to or we be, just fail less. Well, <laughs> I think this goes back to, and just to be clear, Stash is a gender neutral brand. Um, we serve men and women alike. Uh, 
I think it comes back to that concept of what is investing versus what is gambling. By nature, I think men tend to think of investing more like gambling, like let's look for that quick win. Let's look, let's trade the stock. And if the markets are down, I need to do something. Or if the markets are up, I need to do something. And I think women may naturally, I don't know, I could be totally stereotyping here, but have a little bit more patience and investing rewards patience. Mm-hmm. It does. So if if a couple comes to us, heterosexual couple, and the woman is like the CFO of the relationship, I'll always like tease the guy like, good job. You guys are, you guys are on track because, you know, yeah. studies do show that women. I'm curious to know about the dynamic of couples because you serve as millennials. Are you seeing that they're a little bit more, you know, modernized in the way that they divvy up the financial responsibilities totally. in the household? Totally. They are absolutely gender neutral. Absolutely. And uh, most often, Often the couples come to us through a heterosexual comes to us through the through the female. Um, so she's the one stepping up and saying, like, we need to get our financial shit together and we're gonna do this. And usually the guy's like, What are you roping me into? But then once we, which is a common thing, it's totally fine. But once we get them on the meetings and get them understanding how to think like more one team, one dream. Both of them are super pumped because they're planning their life together. It's a really important conversation to have. Right. In fact, you really shouldn't get into a serious long-term relationship unless you've had that mid-long-term conversation. Like, where are we headed? What are our goals? Um, what are the that fin- uncovers a whole bunch of stuff, Farnoosh. Are there... Yes. <laughs> so, are there financial deal breakers? I read an article that was like, if your spouse is, or if your boyfriend's credit score is less than 650... <laughs> Tell them to take a hike. And I was like, oh, seems sort of arbitrary. But, but I mean, we wanted money to, breaks up relationships all the time. It does. It does. It definitely does. And the sooner you have those conversations, the sooner you have a better understanding of where both people fall in terms of values, priorities, et cetera. So we, of course, encourage couples to have yeah. these conversations. And prenups, too. Prenups, absolutely. Um, we think of prenups more like disability insurance. Like, right, you have to get it, but you don't expect to use it. You hope not. Definitely yeah. not. Right? Um, this question comes from... So, So Money has an exclusive financial partner, Chase. And we want to know from our guests this month, as we look to the summer, what is a way that you like to splurge or save when you travel? I love to travel. You can take this either way. Yeah. For the gram. Obviously. For the gram. Some people are gramming it in fake locations now. <laughs> like a makeshift private jet at a pop-up, but they're like, hey, look at me. Uh, I haven't done that. <laughs> we have a public service annou- announcement at Stash. Um, your friends appear a lot richer on social media than they actually are. Hands down. Be aware. Um, and I know because I see <laughs> the credit card debts. Hashtag truth. Harsh truths. Um, Okay. Well, I'm not affiliated with Chase in any way, but I love the Chase Sapphire Reserve card. And what's really cool if you're a Chase Sapphire Reserve card holder is that when you book travel through their site, so like instead, if you're going to book a vacation or book your flight, don't go directly to the airline, go through the Chase website. Do you know this? You get a 50%, up to a 50% bump in like value exchange. Wow. So like if I'm going to, I might yeah. as well book it through Chase. Yeah. Yeah. And then another thing that's really cool about the anybody have the Chase Sapphire Reserve? Oh my God. Oh my it's God. The best everybody. It's so good. This is not hundred thousand, by the way. Did, I know. So not, <laughs> They're going to be so happy about this. <laughs> hundred thousand bonus points. 
Yes. So badass. I mean, that It's got to be the reserved, though. The reserved. There's a Chase yeah. Sapphire. The is really good, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but for a lot of Henry's, they're ready to upgrade. And a lot of clients, one of the big mistakes we see people making is they're holding on to, like, the credit card that they had from college, like, whoever was canvassing their college campus. <laughs> and a lot of times people also think... I can talk about credit cards forever. Um, a, lot, a lot of times people think that, oh, I have a... a I don't want to name specific banks, but if you have a checking account with a specific bank, that's where your credit card also needs to be through that bank. That's absolutely not true. You should definitely hack and find out which credit card is aligned with the way you spend money so you can really hack those rewards points because all millennials want to hack rewards points. Um, one thing that's really cool about the Chase Sapphire Reserve card. <laughs> I think we have found Priya's sweet spot. <laughs> <laughs> There's um, Everyone's like, oh my God, the fee, the annual fee. Why didn't so- I ask this question sooner? <laughs> um, the annual fee is really steep. It's like 450 bucks, but... $300 of that is reimbursed through travel credit that counts for like New York City taxis, Ubers, and as I found out, liquor on an airplane. <laughs> Damn. Well, I just got upgraded to the, um, what is it? The, the jet blue. What's the fancy jet blue? What? Not mint. It's like the, 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 like the elite status on JetBlue, whatever it's called. And I get free alcohol now. Okay. And that's all I read. That's like where I stopped reading. I was like, I'm in. Sign me Cheers up. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. Um, cause I have two kids under the age of five and that is necessary <laughs> on a f- six hour flight. Very so necessary. we'll get into some more hacks as people hopefully come up and ask questions. Yeah. But before we wrap, I want to do a traditional so money fill in the blanks with you, Priya. I didn't tell you I was going to do this. Okay. So this is just like I start a sentence and then you finish it. First thing that comes to mind. Okay. If I won the lottery, I I know you don't play the lottery. Maybe you do. If I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say a a mega bowl, whatever it's called, Powerball, Powerball, like $200 million. The first thing I would do is... Super responsible sounding, but I would put a lot of it into stash for the technology, and then I would take a really sick vacation. Nice. Where would you go? Maldives. All right. Have you ever been? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) It's that good. (laughs) Um, When I splurge, I like to spend on... I, I, deep down, I'm a girly girl. So mm-hmm. I like all the girly girl stuff. I love to shop. Shoes. I love shoes. I, I love all Makeup. that stuff. I, yeah, get myself a nice facial, I, all that good stuff. That's unapologetic. And I like that. Um, one thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better is cleaning person. Yes. This is the number one answer really? that I've, I think I've interviewed. I don't know, 750 people up to this point and a cleaning person is like number one. Yeah. Followed by a manicure. Yeah. Wellness, like anything to do with, you know, self-care. So I'm, I'm there with you. All right. When I donate, I like to give to blank because... Well, right now I'm really into giving to um, financial literacy organizations. Um, you're going to... Top of mind, I can't think of the one that I love. Uh, it's New York-based. I'll come back to you. Sure. But absolutely. I think it's a big problem in our country and it needs to be well solved. I'd like to take this opportunity to talk a little bit about like there are people out there who think like it doesn't matter how you can't teach financial literacy to 10-year-olds or 12-year-olds. A lot of colleges won't even get behind it, you know, because they they just for some reason aren't putting money towards it. And um, yeah, I mean, there's just there are studies too that show that like, you know, you can teach a kid how to 
write a checking, like open up a checking account and all that, but they could still end up with debt in the future. So I don't know. I- it's the principles. It's the psychology behind yeah. money more than just like the actions. Yes. I think. And I think that's maybe where, where there's confusion. The, I think you're, yeah. they're thinking, Oh, I got to teach you how to mm-hmm. budget, which right. I you hate. Um, and it's a dirty word. It's right. Trash. But it's more about just like getting comfortable talking about money. Also true. Which is also a problem in our ask questions. Yeah. Yep. All right. We're on the same page with that. Okay. And well, when I was growing up, the one thing I wish I had learned about money is she's looking at her sister. <laughs> The one thing I wish I had learned about money. I I started investing really early. I started saving. Credit card was a little tricky. I remember my dad calling me when I had a credit card and being like, you overspent. And I didn't quite understand why that was an issue. Mm -hmm. But they gave (laughs) me the limit, right? exactly. (laughs) And last but not least, I'm Priya Milani. I'm so money because... I'm so money because after leaving my big sexy job on Wall Street and starting a company, I finally pay myself a salary. Oh, right. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, Farnoosh. It's been a pleasure. To learn more about Stash Wealth, head over to stashwealth.com and also follow them on Instagram at Stash Wealth. And you can also follow Priya on Instagram at Priya Milani Official. All this information is over at somoneypodcast.com. You can get the link to share the episode, hear it over and over again. Also, click on Ask Farnoosh while you're there and send me your questions for our Friday episodes. All right, that's a wrap, everybody. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope your day is so money. Money.